Guardian Unlimited. Hello, assalamu alaikum and welcome to Islamophonic, the award-winning show from The Guardian. Not to blow our own trumpet, but... Last week, the Association of Online Publishers voted us Podcast of the Year. Now, I didn't go to the ceremony because I was scared of losing. Instead, I stayed in with some friends eating Nando's and watching Heroes, a case of a chicken eating chicken. So here is my acceptance speech. Thank you to everyone who's appeared on the show, to producers Matt Hayward and Francesca Panetta, to the middle-aged, middle-class white men who made this happen, and to you, dear listeners, for your support. On this month's programme, we'll be talking about hojabis, mosque idol and country and western. We also have a tourist update and a news digest. In the studio, we have media firebrand Yvonne Ridley, who's like George Galloway in a scarf. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether that's a compliment or not. <laughs> um, I'm sitting across the table, so I might have to inch back a bit. We also have Isra Jawad from Forward Thinking, who once said she owned more hijabs than knickers. Hmm. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on the matter. <laughs> we'll come back to that later, don't worry. Ladies, welcome and Jazakallah for joining us. How's Ramadan been for you, Yvonne? A challenge, to which I am rising and, and doing, I think, pretty well. May Allah reward you. Isra? Um, similar, but um, I think I'm probably doing not bad either, actually. Not long to go. Now, British mosques are always getting a bad press. When they're not accused of harbouring radicals, they're accused of harbouring radicals. <laughs> Trying to correct misconceptions as well as providing a public service to the Ummah is Model Mosque 2007. Here's the CEO of the Islam channel, Muhammad Ali. The idea of the program is to get mosques involved in a competition and the competition is about getting a model mosque and that model where other mosques will aspire to. So in the future, we want to have our mosques in United Kingdom meet certain criteria, which is in the benefit of the community and the society at large. Now, I've just reached over the criteria, um, and you're looking at things like community services, economic development, integration, sister services, youth services, and transparency. Why are these criteria important to become a model mosque? Well, if we look at the first mosque ever built in Medina back in the time of the Prophet, it used to provide Muslims with all these services. But with time, our mosques kept away from providing vital services to the community and to Muslims. And we want mosques in the United Kingdom to be built on the model of the first mosque ever, the Prophet's Mosque, where there were places for women to worship, to attend kind of school that time, uh, where the mosque provides for social welfare, where people, they come to sort out their social problems. Also, in our days, mosques are being blamed for harboring terrorism or harboring extremism. So we want to portray the positive side of the mosque. It's quite a fun format. You've had your elimination already. You're going to have audience text voting. You're going to have a panel of judges. Why did you decide on this particular way of doing this programme? Well, we have to come up with the new ideas, which are both educating, entertaining, and it can get us to our goals and our objectives. Uh, any format uh, islamically is acceptable as far as, as it can get us to our goals. 
Tell me about the live final. Live final is going to take place on the 24th of November in Excel Center, where we will have an audience of over 25,000 on the day in the same place. It will be broadcast to millions across the world because our channel reaches 132 countries. And we will have live panel and people, they will be texting and voting. So the last day is going to be reality TV, yeah. Why is it important to do this now? If you look at the media, whether it's print or broadcast media, every day there is an attack on Islam and Muslims, and lately they start talking about mosques. But always from a negative angle, place of harboring and manufacturing terrorists and bomb-making people. I'm always surprised that non-Muslims don't know what it looks like when a Muslim prays. How can we educate people? This is why we want to encourage mosques to open up for their neighbours. So non-Muslims, they can come and see what mosques are about. I think we have to do some kind of effort. But before that, we have to stop this attack on Muslims, which portrays mosques as being places of extremism and terrorism. Yvonne, what do you think of the competition? I think it's an excellent idea and I am continually disappointed by mosques in Britain that I've visited or attempted to visit because there are still mosques where women are not allowed to walk through the door and that is an outrage. Isra, do you think this competition will make a difference in the long run? Um, I'm not really sure. I think entering a competition is always a great idea for short term but long term will the principle of how they run the mosques be based on the pretext of this competition? I don't, I'm not sure it will make that much of a difference. In terms of um, criteria, do you think they left anything out? Yvonne? Mosques should provide an arena for debate where we have complete freedom because some mosques, you know, have signs up forbidding any political discussion, forbidding any talk of Palestine, Iraq, Afghanistan or other conflict areas. And if you don't have freedom of speech for young people, they will go into dark corners and listen to siren calls. Mosques and reality TV make strange bedfellows, but what about a Muslim country and Western star? You don't get many of those to your minaret. Kareem Salama is a singer-songwriter from Oklahoma, and he is due to appear at the Darfur Peace Concert next week. He's got a new album out too, all perfect excuses to find out just how cowboy he really is. If you live life free, don't you ever wonder what it's like to fly off the high dive, don't you think the dreams in you are meant to ever come true, don't you know that hope's the slaves till you free them and see them through, can you find a little life in you, make your days and nights Hello. Hello, Salam Alaikum. Is that Kareem Salama? Yes, ma'am. Kareem, it's Riazat from The Guardian. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, how are you? I'm really, really happy to be speaking to you and thank you so much for doing this at 6.30 in the morning. No, it's my pleasure. Kareem, do all your exes live in Texas? (laughs) I love traditional country music, like (laughs) like, uh, Waylon Jennings, Lukenbach, Texas, and a lot of that Johnny Cash and things like that, if that's what you're asking me about. And um, do you wear a cowboy hat when you're performing? I mean, not really, I don't. I mean, I wear a cowboy hat. I have a couple cowboy hats that I wear. Um, Do you have a horse? I, I don't, but I really want to get one. I want to get a, a, a purebred Arabian, actually. Now, tell me about your new album. Well, 
it's the second album. I think friendship is sort of a dominant theme in there, whether it's friendship between you and somebody else or friendship with God. And another big one is following the good inspirations in your heart. Actually, that title of the album is This Life of Mine, and the first song, actually, the story about two people who work corporate jobs. They leave their jobs and follow their dreams, and in the process, they end up meeting each other and finding something more than they expected. And that's a very important song to me uh, because that's how I got into, into music generally. You know, I did my background as in engineering and in law, and I could have ignored that inspiration to me to try to make, to make music. So your work is based on personal experience and you write about things that are important to you. Does religion come into it? Yes, I, it, it, it certainly does, but it doesn't come in it, I like to think, in a contrived way. Um, religion is a big part of my life, and you know, there's, a, there's a saying in Arabic, it says, the tongue is the interpreter of the heart. And so if you have religion in your heart, it'll naturally come out on your tongue. You know, following good inspirations in your heart is certainly part of religion for me. I'm, I'm surprised that there is a Muslim country and Western singer, but I'm really glad you're here. How easy is it for you to be part of the country scene? I mean, there are some elements of country and Western music that don't necessarily fit comfortably with who you are. So, for example, kind of the drinking and the heartbreaking and, the, and Jesus. Well, I mean, I know Jesus is important in Islam, but you know what I mean. Well, and heartbreak is, a, is part of life, too. Country music is rooted in traditional values. I mean, a big part of country music comes from traditional Christian values. And a lot of those are values that we share. You know, a, a lot of things that I learned growing up, because I didn't grow up around Muslims, I grew up around a lot of Southern Baptist Christians, because uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. And, you know, a lot of values that I have that are good things in Islam, I was reminded of from my Christian friends. Like cursing, for example, is not something that, you know, a Muslim should do. So what do um, non-Muslims think of your work? The, the non-Muslims that have heard it seem to react very well to it, actually. We've already been contacted on this new album, by a label in Tennessee. Um, I'm going to go visit with them in a couple weeks. So, I mean, they, they certainly see the merit in it. People say that it's inspirational, and I think it's very much in line with the, with the, with the themes of country music. Kareem Salama, Jazakallah for your time. And Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak to you too. Isra, will you be going to the Peace Concert at Wembley? Um, no, I live near Wembley, not too far, so I might be able to hear it from where I am, but no, I'm not going to it. Yvonne, what about you? Any plans to go and see Sammy Yusuf and Native Dean? Oh, you are so wicked. Um, <laughs> no, I won't be going. I know that a lot of people think that I don't like Sammy Yusuf. The reality is I've never met the brother. I think he has a wonderful voice. I questioned in a notorious article mm. that I wrote the behaviour of some of the sisters who went to a Sammy Yusuf concert. What were they doing? I felt as though there was a Western pop culture creeping into Nasheed concerts. And these sisters were standing up, clapping their hands, swaying, chanting, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. I put pen to paper, which incurred the wrath of Sammy Yusuf, who responded. <laughs> um, Mecca to Medina were furious that I'd called them a boy band. They created a rap song in which they told me quite forcefully that they ain't no boy band. I bet you were scared. Well, were it you was... quaking in your hijab, Yvonne? I wasn't. I fear <laughs> no one but Allah. <laughs>
<laughs> right on, sister. <laughs> okay. Now we're going to stay stateside for our next item, which is also provocative. We're going to be talking about the hojabi. Now, this can mean one of two things. A hijabi who dresses like a hoe, or it can mean a hot hijabi. You've all seen them. Very, very attractive girls wearing hijab, but also sometimes wearing very tight clothing as well. Someone who's attempted to penetrate the allure of the hijab is American blogger Ali Etraz. Guess where he lives? Sin City, Las Vegas. Hello. Hey, Ali, it's Riazat. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Um, you wrote a blog last September called To My Dear Hijabi Sisters, and it's become pretty infamous. Can you just explain why? Um... Well, I think it has to do with two things. First, it undermined the general notion that people wear hijab to be modest. And it suggested that they actually might be wearing it to attract attention. And the second reason was it kind of had a tongue-in-cheek tone to it in which I kept expressing my attraction to hijabis. So... I mean, it, it did prove incredibly controversial on your blog. Um, and as I was printing it out, I realised that there were 84 pages worth of comments. Some people found it quite funny. Some people were really yeah. offended. In your tongue-in-cheek fashion, you were saying that actually the hijab was something that was very sexual and it was a potent sex symbol. Um, you know, OK, you have to ask why it is that people wear hijab. And for some people, it's a question of protecting their own sexuality and this applies to many guys for protecting the sexuality of men and I, I don't really find that convincing because at the same time the whole argument is premised on obsessiveness with everybody's sexuality all the time you know frankly I don't really make a distinction between a hijabi or a non-hijabi woman when I'm attracted to someone and that should be where we should be at you know that um, sounds like quite a reasonable argument. Basically, you just right. you're just attracted to women full stop. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think there's now a tendency among younger women especially to really stylize their hijab so that actually it yes. becomes more about a fashion accessory, which of course brings me very neatly to my term hojabi. You know, that's the thing like in my opinion, mm -hmm. if they want to do that by all means, feel free. It is a huge fashion item. It is an accessory. If you go to the Arab world, you know, I think they have uh, magazines devoted to how you can style the hijab and how it goes with various outfits. And that's essentially my point. People should be free to do it for any number of reasons. However, and this is why kind of the whole controversy really boggled my mind, the reason that I will find most attractive is if people are doing it for sort of principled reason, right? Like, I wear the hijab because it's a political statement, or I wear the hijab because it's an expression of solidarity, or I, I don't really think there should be a category called hojabis because hijabis should be able to be as libertine as they want. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like hijab is per se a way of espousing one's modesty. Do you think so. that Muslim men are obsessed with finding a woman who is pious and hot? Yes. <laughs> like it's a bonus if she's hijabi and she's really cute. Um, I think what Muslim men are obsessed with finding is publicly pious and hot. So if you are impious and don't get caught, that's fine. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, mom, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> okay, so it's okay to be impious as long as you do it in secret. Yeah, people almost naturally end up 
evaluating the other person based on how they will be perceived by the community at large. And so it's kind of like piety is a sort of commodity. Oh. And Are Muslims obsessed with sex? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you obsessed with sex? Yeah, and I think that's completely healthy and natural. I mean, it is such an overarching part of our life. I might be wrong in this, but to some Islamic legal scholars, uh, the word nikah implies sex. It doesn't imply marriage or it doesn't imply... Oh. Um, I think it, the legal term denotes the consent to have sex. Okay. So, so yes, you know, we've always been obsessed with sex. Going what on, kind you know, of woman not... do you look for, Ali? <laughs> I look for intelligent and kind of attractive, <laughs> dark-haired uh, <Okay>. women. <laughs> so that is really anyone. So. Ali, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for being brave enough to talk about these oh, my pleasure. taboo subjects. Okay, no problem. Take care. Okay, take Bye. care. Bye. <laughs> Isra, you wear hijab. What did you think of that? Um, well, I partially agree with some of the things that he's saying. The sexualization of hijab is nothing new. Like Western literature have always found the Muslim exotic other woman, you know, attractive. Is that what Jack Straw was on about? Um, perhaps. Perha- um, Jack Straw was talking about the niqab, so that's very different to a hijab. Mm. I mean, um, what people seem to forget is that the hijab is a complex thing because it operates on many levels. In one sense, it's a very sacred thing. It's a very public display of your identity. On another respect, it's something that's almost immaterial, if you excuse the pun, in the sense that women who wear the hijab don't often think about it 24-7, so it operates on many different levels. What else did you agree with? The way you wear your hijab has a lot to do with how you define your hijab, and I think more and more people are finding different definitions of a hijab. Some people, like he said, would wear it for idea of modesty, um, an idea of um, sort of hiding their sexuality from other men, which I'm not sure I particularly agree with. I think it's um, we sh- women should be made responsible for men's sexualization or what they find attractive or not. And I think men are kinky enough to find anything attractive in <laughs> any way. So I think it doesn't matter what you put on, someone out there will find it attractive. But um, there are also re- loads of other reasons for wearing a hijab. So I, I think that if a girl wants to wear the hijab in a particular way, although some people might find it extremely contradictory, I say let her do it. Yvonne, do you think hijab fashion has gone too far? Can I say, first of all, if he was in this studio now, I would have strangled him. I found him so obnoxious um, in a cute way, but really, really obnoxious. Uh, I, I just really think that men should stay out of women's wardrobes, whether they're, you know, Ali in Las Vegas or Jack Straw in Blackburn. Clear off. The hijab, we all know it's an obligation in Islam. If a sister wants to turn it into a fashion accessory, I don't really see a great deal of um, harm, especially in the West, uh, where wearing a hijab immediately propels you into the front lines, short sword fighting for Islam, because you are immediately identified as a Muslim. As a Muslim. Whereas, you know, if you're living in Bahrain mm. or Saudi, then um, you might look a bit odd if you have some common Miranda style design sprouting out of your head. But I I think wear it proud, wear it loud. Isra, you talked about other reasons for wearing hijab. Do you think sometimes women wear hijab out of solidarity or to make a political statement? Um, Absolutely. I mean, there are very secular reasons for wearing the hijab as well as religious ones. Some, a lot of people... You know, amongst the students at university, the politicisation of Islam has become quite of a cool topic. So you get the, a lot of girls who are wearing it out of wanting to be part of something. 
you get other people who might feel that it's a cultural norm. They do it out of cultural duty as opposed to spiritual or you know, issues of faith. So there's many very different reasons for wearing a hijab. It's not necessarily to show that they are Muslims or that they have a deeper connection with God, which in itself is quite a contentious issue, that the idea that if you wear the hijab, you're somehow a better Muslim than a, a girl who doesn't wear the hijab. And Why do you wear hijab? I was born in a, a fairly religious family, and my sisters and my mother wore the hijab. But it was something that I constantly questioned throughout my childhood and I grew, as I grew up because I started wearing it when I was about nine years old. Wow, it's that's pretty, pretty young. Yeah, things that I noticed around me was that wearing the hijab, if anything, makes you naked as opposed to covers you up. It lays you bare. You can't hide behind the beautiful hairstyle. You can't hide behind your makeup. You can't behind your fit body. And I think the hijab redirects a human eye to those things which are a lot harder for people to spot. When you said that you had more hijabs than knickers, what did you mean? I've had your knickers on my mind since I read the article in The Guardian. Well. I can't stop thinking about your knickers. And imagine if I were a man. Well, um, what I meant was that um, the interviewer asked me about my hijabs, asked me how many I had. And what oh. I was trying to say was that I have very many hijabs. And mm. it goes back to the idea of hijab fashion. For me, that was something that was at first very contentious. I was very worried about it. I don't want to be a hijabi Bobby. I don't want to belittle my hijab. But then the more I, the older I got, I just realized that women who are Muslim are no different to any other woman and want to be beautiful. They might not prioritize that above everything else, which is, I think, what the hijab teaches you. But that doesn't mean that I want to, you know, be dressed up in a potato sack all day. Yvonne, what about the girls who are dressed in tight clothing and wear hijab? Well... I keep seeing the, them everywhere. Am I the only person it, who sees them? It is. I'm not looking well, at them. It depends no. what you mean by tight Again, clothes. But like tight, tight, super no, tight. I, I, know. I can see your sprayed, cleavage tight. Sprayed on clothes. Yeah, and, I sound like know, my mother. <laughs> I, I'm going to sound like an old frump, but at the at the end of the day, frankly, I am shocked by some of the inappropriate dress that hijabi sisters wear. Why their parents aren't guiding them, why their sisters aren't advising them, I don't know. Basically, they look like slappers. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a tabloid journalist. I don't use long words. They look like tarts. And I wish they would just dress more appropriately, even without the hijab. You see Western girls who aren't Muslims who look uh, great and they don't have these uh, sprayed on clothes. Mm. It's a sprayed on bit that worries me. It kind of undermines the whole point of hijab. Well, there you go. That's a controversial subject. I haven't been beaten up, so that's okay. As always, we like to tell you what's happening in the world of tourism. So here is this month's bulletin. Terror update. Hello. Hello, Salaam Alaikum. Hello, Is that Mohammed? It is, yeah. Mohammed, it's Riazat from The Guardian. Hi, hello. Tell me about your campaign. Islam is peace. Uh, well, the, the campaign uh, started uh, around two years ago after the 7th of July attacks on London. We felt that Muslims didn't have a voice condemning the attacks and distancing themselves from uh, the attacks of individual criminals. The whole uh, aim of the campaign is to ha- help build bridges with communities and help uh, educate people that Islam isn't about uh, violence, it doesn't encourage terrorism and that normal Muslims who who live within the UK and around the world shouldn't be held responsible for the act of individual criminals. And so the latest phase of the campaign is running billboards and ads across buses and tubes? That's correct. Uh, The the first uh, phase was newspaper adverts. The second phase, of course, is the tube ads, the bus campaigns, and hopefully soon billboards around the UK as well. 
It must be pretty expensive doing this, taking out full-page adverts in national newspapers. Where are you getting the money from? We're very lucky that the Muslim community around the UK have put their hands in their pockets and their wallets and donated to a cause which they think is worthy. How's the campaign going down with non-Muslims? Uh, we're getting a lot of uh, positive response. Uh, we have uh, a feedback form on our website. We got one from an Irish lady who, who remembers the IRA bombings. She knows how we feel right now. What's a dream result for you, Mohammed? The word Muslim and terrorist and Islam and terrorist not being linked ever again. Uh, that would be a dream result. And as well as that, peace within our societies, basically living together and showing that uh, British Muslims are part of this society and that we're very proud to be here. Terror update. Isra, hit or miss? Uh, hit. Anything that you can do, I think, is good. Yvonne? A hit with, in brackets, reservations. I think this is tied into the, the campaign, Be Proud to Be a British Muslim. I think anything which promotes Islam in a positive light is great. But why do we have to be proud to be British? Now, I was British before I became a Muslim, and I wasn't a flag-waving, I am proud to be British, because, you know, Britain has a horrendous history. And what about the Muslims in Britain who aren't British? That's a really good point. I have to say, I wasn't aware of my national identity until 7-7. It just never even occurred to me to question them in that way. Well, I mean, I, I'm a Geordie. I come from the tribal areas of, of Britain. So, <laughs> you know, I'm declaring UDI on everybody. Okay. <laughs> now, if that's what you whistle, here are some other dates for your diary. On October 23rd in London, the School of Oriental and African Studies is hosting a lecture called Young Muslim and Radical. On October 31st and November 1st, Channel 4 is showing a two-part drama called Brits, B-R-I-T-Z. Now, it's not about a fallen pop star who flashes her bits. It's actually about radical young Muslims. No way. A breathless publicity email from the channel reads, What makes a young, intelligent British Muslim woman feel so disenfranchised, so powerless and become so angry at the country of her birth that she is driven into the arms of radical Islam while her brother feels so passionately about protecting his fellow British citizen that he signs up with MI5's counter-terrorism unit? You couldn't make it up, but they have at Channel 4. <laughs> On a slightly more positive note, Muslims in Space, Malaysia has produced a guidebook for off-planet Ummah telling them how to find Mecca and when to pray, amongst other things. Around 2 billion people will be celebrating Eid this weekend, and if you're stuck for something to do, here are some parties you can crash. Eid in the Square, October 20th in Trafalgar Square, for some halal fun endorsed by the Mayor of London, Ken Livingstone. In Manchester, you can go to the Curry Mile if you're in the mood for marijuana and beer-fueled festivities. Check out the report we made in January about how it goes down up north. Further afield, there's a grand ball at Doha Golf Club where wine will be provided with your meal. That's always good to know. And finally, if you're in Dubai, you could try and get an invite to Benazir Bhutto's house. Or instead, you could buy tickets to a three-night pop concert at the Arena Hotel where Lebanese lovelies Nancy, Adram, Alyssa and Shireen will be performing. Jazakallah to Yvonne Ridley and to Isra Jawad. That was Islamophonic. It was produced by Matt Hayward and presented by me, Riyaz Butt. We're back next month. Until then, Eid Mubarak and Wa Alaikum Assalam.